0: You know what I mean? Yeah, I was a troublemaker from the jump. <laughs> well, no, no, no let, let, let me, let me, let me, let me retract it. I had a propensity to being attracted towards troublemakers. Okay, right. you know, like there was an allure of like you know the bikers in New York, mm-hmm. you know, like you know more the more rough and tumble kind of dudes that I would just look and go, I, I don't know, I gotta go hang with them. You, yeah. know? <laughs> you know, something about playing, you know, give me three steps in a bar with a bunch of Hell's Angels floating around it just seemed like the thing to do, you know. Tokyo tonight. Tokyo Tonight. the fuck out of town! Fucking treasonous pieces of shit! What's up, y'all? How you doing today? How you doing, man? Not good. bad. Not bad, thanks. You guys good? Yeah, we're great.
1: Right, doing great everybody man. healthy,
0: everybody safe. You okay?
1: Absolutely. So far, so good.
0: <laughs> well, It was a crazy holiday season, but it's good to see you both again. I had a great time yeah. with you all last time, so here we are. I'm starting
1: to i'm i just realized you have the long hair i'm trying to catch up to you i think i'm almost i think i could keep going right i i got a long ways to go
0: yeah. <laughs> you look good like, though. you write what right. you got working
1: for <laughs> you Right. it's like <laughs> stop do not do anymore <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah dude we had such a blast with you the last time you were on and you guys i want to thank you because you gave us such a great interview um you both had killer stories and you brought the energy and shit like that and then we wound up in um, Us Weekly for our 100th episode. You guys were our 100th.
0: Oh, that's great, man. Well, thank yeah. you. Listen, I had a great time with you all last time. So, you know, we'll do the same thing again tonight.
1: Thank you, man. Uh, So, yeah. So how was the end of your tour? You got – uh, you obviously avoided any kind of Omicron shit that was like on the cusp of that.
0: Well, we got a bunch of people who got sick. Yeah. Um, You know, it was kind of like, you know, just tapping us on the shoulder the whole last couple of weeks of the tour. Mm-hmm. You know, we started out in uh, Omaha, Nebraska. So this is just before Omicron kind of like landed, if you will. Right. You know, so we went from Omaha up to Sioux Falls. We got into Denver and there was still the uh, the Delta variant was still kind of kicking around there. So, sure. you know, a couple crew guys got sick, but, you know, we had some replacements come out. You know, by the time we got back down to Texas, we thought we were in the clear. And then this Omicron thing was just wreaking havoc. I mean, yeah, so much more transmissible, uh, so much more contagious, I guess. Uh, yeah. Much, much less in the severity department, which thank goodness for that, you know, for, yeah. forget about working, forget about that. Just like, you know, so much less severe for so many people who are susceptible to, you know, like any kind of respiratory illness. Yeah. yeah you know, but it was everybody was getting it. So, you know, we made it to the end of the tour. A couple of people went down, you know, uh, it, it was a nail biter for a couple of minutes. But, you know, we finished, I think we did 98 shows. Wow. You know. And I'd, somebody had just sent me a, a billboard where it was at the number one tour of 2021. So, you know, oh, wow. hats off nice. to the old Congrats, new family, man. hats off to our crew, our managers, you know, Paul's wife, his daughter, everybody did everything they could to keep us safe and protected. Wow. You know, we had a COVID compliance officer out with us. Oh, wow. uh, you know, it, it was a lot, dude. It was a lot. It was. It, but what was paramount is just doing the shows and the people wanted to come and, and celebrate their holidays with us again in an arena. Wow. Uh, you know, yeah. like the, the prior year, like I think we mentioned last time we talked, we did the live stream and we sold, you know, like over 250,000, something like that. Of those. So mm-hmm. I knew that the people were chopping at the bit to get back to their tradition and they came out in droves. It was just so awesome to stand out there and do this again. And, you know, amidst all this chaos that was going on, you know, but but yeah. we finished New Year's Eve, you know, everybody flew home, uh, got with their families, did what they had to do and exhaled like loudly, <laughs> you know, <Right. laughs> m- mission, mission accomplished. So Nice. There you have it.
1: Yeah, man, I got this. This is one of those moments where I wish I was a musician and not a comedian because comedians don't have COVID compliant officers. We have overweight dudes at the back in the club calling me a pussy for wearing a mask. You know what I mean? Like that's
0: which is that's, a COVID oh, yeah. compliance
1: officer in some
0: places. <laughs> You know, listen, the fact that I know what a COVID compliance officer is, that job didn't exist a couple of years ago. That's you know true. What I'm yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so I, the secret was, listen, you call me what you want. I was wearing double masks all day long. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and I would take a rapid test. I'd wear a mask all day. I'd pop it off when we'd do the show, mm-hmm. put it back on when we left the show. We weren't allowed to hang out with anybody. There was no like, you know, hanging out with people on other buses. There was yeah. no going out to the hotel bar. It was straight up, you know, if this thing gets shut down, you know, that's right. a bad thing. So everybody b- believe in the best. Don't believe in the best. That doesn't matter what what yeah. your side of the fence is. I chose to do everything I could in my power not to get sick.
1: It's just the easiest thing to do. It's like it, you don't want to get is, sick. You don't want to get anybody else sick. It's super easy.
0: Yeah, it is. And I'm not going to politicize it. I'm not going to involve with the politics behind it. I mean, there's such a divide, but you know, yeah. between people anyway. What worked for me was staying to myself, wearing two masks all the time, testing Mm -hmm. in the morning, testing in the evening, and having a pair of McKellen 18-year-olds at the end of the night, just like, (laughs) I'm done. Okay, today's in the books, I'm going to bed, y'all. Right.
1: Yeah, man. And it's got to be even scarier for musicians to like that, too. You guys have to take care of your voices and be like, you know, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It's got to be nerve-wracking.
0: Well, it's nerve-wracking anyway. I mean, long before COVID, you know, singers, you know, really, they got to be careful. Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, to, to sing an entire show, you know, five, six nights a week in, in a traditional rock band is one thing. You were talking about we got two shows a day, you know, five days a week. You know, they right. got to come out. They got to crush it. Um, you know, so it, listen, it is what it is. You know, we, we, we've we all gotten sick on stage or on tour. We've had the food, right. uh, food poisoning, whatever. You just you, you kind of eat it and do it. And you get through it. Mm-hmm. Problem with this is that if you got sick and you spread it to like everybody on the bus, this is a problem. You know, yeah. under the under the COVID name, you know the fear right. and, and all the apprehension that's associated with something like you know like this. So, you know, I I've done tours where I had the flu. I've done tours where I broke my leg. Whatever, it's my headache. I'll deal with it. You know, when you can get a lot like of other happens. people sick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Say again.
1: No, no, no. I was gonna say you told us about your leg getting broken yeah, last you know, time. That was like, yeah.
0: Yeah, listen, what happens to you happens to you, and that's what it is. you know. But right. when well, you could take an entire bus down, people are dying from this thing. I mean, I, I don't know what the numbers were you know, uh, globally, but this wasn't no joke, this thing. So listen, I didn't want anybody to get sick. I didn't want it, anybody to go home, I, but – Everybody pwned it up, did their jobs. I'm super proud of everyone nice. involved. And I'm really proud of the folks in the audience who just came out and supported us, you know? And, yeah, and here and here we are, man. We're talking about this in a positive, which yeah. six months ago it was like, uh, I don't know. I know,
1: I know, exactly. Did you and Chris get to cross paths on the at uh, the end? No,
0: no, 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 man. He was he was running with the uh with the East Coast band. I know that, you know. Uh, that Omicron variant was chasing Intel because they were up in the 13 colonies where this thing was really sinking its teeth into, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. So
0: I, you know, I was with him with uh, on the show with you guys. I think I spoke to him once after that, but everybody was just like head down, wow. head for the border and go.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I don't blame him. Wow. That's fucking crazy. And then um, uh, Liquid Music Group Max is chiming, and she asked, "How many people are on that crew? On the crew? Yeah, overall. Uh,
0: I'm gonna say in the on the crew is probably 80 people, give or take. Wow. And then you got the, the 17 of us in the band, plus you got a six-piece string section. you know. So I, I think we have wow. like 12 buses and 20 semis for each band, the East Coast Brunch and the West yeah. Coast Brunch, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's a lot of moving parts, dude. And it's really difficult. You know, like you, you can pound your chest in rehearsal and have the big speech go team and everybody's going to stay out of the bars and the hotel lobbies and just, be, you, know, yeah. you know. You're talking about over 100 and something people that all one of them has to get it you know yeah just yeah. going yeah. out you know just maybe being a little relaxed relaxed with the mask well listen whatever you contribute somebody getting sick to it, whatever happens one person gets it you get it on a bus it's like a big petri dish
1: yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely
0: you know what i mean so that was the scary part about it. but i'm so proud of everybody involved i really am nice i want to, i
1: didn't get to talk to you too much about like your beginnings and where you started and stuff like that and i read something recently that you're you doing your college roommate uh at the time wound up uh both uh, going on
0: tour with Alice Cooper. How the hell did that happen? That's insane. <laughs> not well. It, it is, but it's not. So, I got hired in September of 1989 to be Alice's musical director. Right. Wow. Okay. Uh, from a, just a couple of really good recommendations from, uh, from some great people. One was uh, Steve I and Greg Bissonette. Oh, wow. Uh, they were just great people, incredible artists, and uh, were kind enough to kind of just drop my name in the right situation at the right time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when Steve I recommend you, you, most people don't question it, right. and uh, Greg Bissonette had done the same thing. So, Alice's people called me up. I flew out to LA, uh, started getting in the van, uh, involved in what was to be an MD. They said, Can you MD the band? I'm like, Absolutely, I had no idea what that meant,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: but like I learned a long time ago, just said, Yeah, we're well, good, I can do that. Yeah So, what I found out is like putting the band together, working on the arrangements, being able to speak the language fluently. I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, I got you. But they said, we don't have a keyboard player. And I said, well, I went to college with this guy, Derek Sharinian, who's absolutely incredible. All right. And they're like, well, yeah, call him up and get him in. So, Derek happened to live, I think he's living in Santa Cruz at the time. And I called him up. I said, listen, dude, I got this opportunity for you. Uh, Come down, play the piano. It's going to be a huge tour with Cooper. I said, but do not speak, do not open your mouth. (laughs) Yeah. and he goes, and he got it because you know Derek likes to talk a lot. I was just like, dude, shut right. up, you know. So I said, just prom- come in, just play the piano, and I promise you, you'll get this job. And he came in and he crushed it. So, yeah, wow. I mean, he's so awesome, anyway. And he he didn't talk for like two weeks. So I was very proud.
1: Oh my god, that's incredible! What what, did you, what was the first thing he said to you after
0: that? Oh yeah, he, he looked at me one day and he goes, dude. <laughs> that's Alice Cooper. I'm like, yeah, I know. Be, uh, nice. Whatever. Just, just play the song, Chush, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but we yeah. Were, you know, it was all young and innocent and a lot of fun and being in LA for the first time. And mm-hmm. listen, standing on stage with Alice Cooper, I mean, that's no joke, dude. Yeah. You know, I mean, to sit down and play Only Women Bleed or Dwight Fry or Welcome to My Nightmare, and this isn't a cover band. I mean, that's the dude right there. Right. You know, and it was a great introduction into um, theatrical interpretations of music on an arena level. Mm-hmm. You know, which little did I know, like, you know, I don't know seven, eight years later, you know, the beginnings of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra was going to happen. And that was going to be the quintessential adaptation of theatrics in an arena. So it yeah. kind of, I learned a lot and how to do it and all that. Do you remember
1: what the hardest thing was you had to learn when you were, when you were first starting out as an MD?
0: I had to learn how to speak a couple of different languages. Wow. Meaning like, you know, uh, on, on a musical level, like I could turn around to somebody like a Derek, uh, Jonathan Moover was the original drummer in that touring band. Mm-hmm. And I could speak to them in the vernacular or, or in the musical vocabulary, if you will. i like could say, you know, sure. Derek, I need like an F Lydian chord hero, you know, make that a, um, you know, a, a major nine on the, whatever. Some of the other guys, I'd have to go, dude, the second fret. No, right. the other second fret, you know? Yeah. But you can't get frustrated because, you know, uh, Pete Freeze and then T-Bone Caradona, who are the respective uh, other guitar player and the bass player, I mean, these guys are just great players. They wow. just didn't come up through the traditional schooling you know mm-hmm. of that but it didn't take anything away from how awesome they were and the band had a great vibe and a great chemistry and it was just a lot of fun so that was the most not difficult but that was the first lesson i had to learn and then i also had to learn how to speak to cooper you know oh. in regards to like okay he's asked me to have the band do something i need to translate what he's saying explain it to them and, and kind of give it back to them so you think on the fly a lot and you learn to really be get good at cutting and pasting and coming up with ideas really really quick right was
1: he, like, cool to hang out with and stuff like that? Did you get to spend much time Dude, with him Dude, he was alone? the
0: greatest guy ever, yeah. I mean, we toured uh, – that tour lasted about 12 or 13 months. Wow. You know, uh, he was, you know, a little bit older, so a little bit more And This was my mm-hmm. first big rodeo, so I was, you know, reading the, the Motley Crue tour book on how to get through life in a rock and roll, band. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh learned a lot from it was a great guy good family man I have nothing but love and respect for him i mean look at look at it. i mean he's not doing it t- today because there's something wrong with him i mean he's been yeah. awesome from the jump and he's continued to get uh to be awesome and you know i know a couple of the people in his current band and you know just i wish them all well and get out there and just keep going
1: when you were in college and you and your roommate were together what was your like was your goal to play in a band were you um were you super excited for that kind of stuff like how did you Feel your music trajectory was going to go at that point.
0: Didn't have a clue, brother. You know. Really? And awesome. in, in regards to that, I was kind of preparing for anything that could have come my way. Hmm. You know, did I want to be a session player? Okay. Did I want to be in a band? Okay. Did I? I didn't care. I just mm-hmm. knew that I wanted to do this with a guitar on my lap.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. You, you know what I mean? I wanted it more than the air in my lungs. You know, I, I just right. knew that I would do anything. I just wanted to be a guitar player. I wanted to do something that really is almost impossible to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know. And uh, just trying to get better every day, trying not to be an asshole, trying to do the best thing I could possibly do, trying to, you know, cut my teeth in the streets of New York City, um, you know, meeting people, playing, trying to play well all the time, you know, Mm -hmm. not letting life interfere with, you know, this trajectory I'm trying to stay focused on, so... You know i it didn't really matter i just knew i wanted to be a guitar player i, I should say i wanted to be a musician you know yeah. i was playing a lot of guitar obviously and playing a lot of piano and i started learning how to program drums on the computer when that whole thing first came out in the early 80s yeah. i just wanted to be an all-around you know well-versed well-educated guy who could do whatever it takes at whatever time because i never knew where my opportunity was going to come from right
1: was it was it uh were your parents the type of people that were cool with you like doing that kind of stuff or did they have a a different idea of what you were going to do in college oh
0: hell no (laughs) (laughs) this was the bane of their existence since i saw the beatles on ed sullivan in 1964 my mother had a rosary beads out my father tried to beat the the guitar out of me like this was not a good time for any of us you know no well you got to think about it though dude it's like you know 19 early 70s by the time i kind of was like really kind of in this yeah. You know, playing in, like, local bands and garage bands and, you know, the school dances, whatever the crap you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my old man was my high school principal. Oh, wow. Yeah, not not a fun three That's years. That's not fun, yeah, yeah no. No, no, no. Nothing you can't about that. But you got to – listen, you got to hand it to him in the time, in in the mindset where he came from his generation. This is the most terrifying thing you could have told him. Yeah, you know, right, right. Like, I, I want to be a, a musician. He's like, no, no, you yeah. know, you're going to school and you're going to get, you uh, know, you're gonna go to college and you're going to get a degree and a proper job with security and safety and all that. Hey, listen, can't say anything bad about that because at the time that made all the sense in the world. Sure. You know, he didn't know that within his lifetime, uh, that that whole safe middle class, go to school, get a job, marry Carol Brady, have a couple kids in a picket fence and, you know, and pay you more. That, that, that somebody put a bullet in the back, in the head of that. Concept a long time Absolutely, ago.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You know,
0: so it it, it wasn't a pleasant journey, mm-hmm. but I understood. Certainly, you know, turning sixty years old this year, I certainly understand. You know, having kids and worrying about everything every day. You want the best for them. You want them not to make foolish choices. Mm-hmm. You know, did I make a foolish choice? Probably, but it worked out in my favor. You know. Yeah, yeah.
1: Did you? Were you the only one in your family that had that kind of like musical talent or anything like that? Anybody else going to show business in your family ever?
0: Nah, dude, they couldn't play a radio in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up hand on my heart, you know. I mean, I love my baby sister with all my heart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she tried playing violin, you know, when they handed out instruments in elementary school. I was like, uh, that sounds nothing like the Charlie Daniels band. <laughs> put it down. <laughs> you know? And, you know, my mom would sing you and my father would attempt to sing, but no, no, no. no nobody was real musical. I, 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 honestly, I have no idea. I just fell wow. in love with the Beatles, fell in love with the whole culture, yeah. Uh, was listening to music and, and just I don't know I, haven't, I can't explain to you why I just know that it didn't let go of me. This is 58 years ago, almost 58 years ago now.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask you what do you think about because like every musician that we've had on man it's it's so crazy that like everybody knows how crazy awesome the Beatles are right how right? the longevity has lasted how the you know mythos is like everybody talks about it but like there is not one person who is not who's in music who's not influenced by the Beatles who didn't mm-hmm. get blown away by a Tillman. What do you think? Is is the is the core? Do you think it's the the group mentality that they had that they all kind of stuck together, played together, grew together, that kind of a thing, or or do you think it's the music? What do you think it makes them like impact all these young musicians? I
0: I, I think everything that you just said. I think that them as a band, nobody had ever seen anything like that before when they hit the TV. Nobody had heard music like that before. I mean, they didn't just change music; they changed pop culture. Yeah, you know. And if you think about, you know, like they they were only together, I think four or five years. Right. You know, as the Beatles, you know, and then, you know, obviously they all went on to have incredible solo careers. But when you think about when there were a bunch of kids from Liverpool playing I Want to Hold Your Hand, and by the time they finished that with George Martin the complexity of the songwriting and the production and the depth of it, it was just an incredible thing to watch. I mean, I wasn't aware of what was going on. I was a little kid. Right. And I just knew that like I could not get enough of their music. You know, I watched an interview. I don't know if we chatted about it last time. I don't know if I've seen this before we spoke last or after. But mm. there's an interview out or a documentary called McCartney 321, where he's being interviewed by um, – Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, thank you. Excuse me. Yeah. And Rick Rubin looks at him and he goes, Why are your songs so memorable? And McCartney deadpan looks him in the face and goes, Well, I had to remember them." <laughs> That's right. I, yeah. That's so genius. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. you know, I, I think that they're going to analyze McCartney and Lennon's music and Harrison and, and Ringo, you know, for, for all time. What it yes. was about, I don't know. It was maybe there was an innocence to it, a vulnerability to it. But it everybody my age and obviously older, any musicians, mm-hmm. and even some a little bit younger than me, was so struck and moved by them that you know, like I remember doing a, an interview. I forget with whom uh, a couple years ago. I was with Dennis Miller on his uh his simulcast right. he was doing, and he asked me the same question. I said the Beatles. He goes, "Do you know how many people I've interviewed say the same exact thing?" Yeah, you know, he goes. Do you remember that moment? I said I was two years old. Uh, you know, my mom was clever enough to take like a Polaroid picture of me in my feedy pajamas with my granddaddy's acoustic guitar in front of the TV. Uh, oh, so I God. don't really remember it, but I can just yeah. tell you this is the outcome of like you know, fifty eight yeah. years ago. So yeah, it, it meant everything to me and still does. Um, I, I, you know, and the man just keeps getting better. He's you know, watching McCartney go out on tour yet again it, but he's got to be approaching almost 80 years old he looks amazing, he sounds amazing, he's a gentleman like, it's just like, that's the pinnacle of, of what you yeah. should try to achieve in this business you know? It's yeah. crazy
1: we, we had, uh, um, had Jake Clemens on the show and we were talking about McCartney and seeing McCartney and like, I get tired watching that guy, like I know he's 70 something years old and I've gone to see him a bunch of times because like, you know, when he was touring I would take, we, my mom and I would go for her birthday because she loves, you know, same thing, loves the Beatles got me into music and stuff but uh, he's everywhere. He's bouncing around. He seems like he's not aged a fucking day. in it's us, dude. Okay. What, like, and, but the same thing, man. Like, so, like, when you're when you're on stage, like, is it just the energy that the audience gives you when you're on stage that you're just immediately picked up? Is it just the joy of playing music? What the fuck keeps you guys? Uh, you so I,
0: I can't speak for anybody, and I certainly won't speak for Sir McCartney. <laughs> yeah. right, but what but I you? can yeah. tell you for myself that I've dreamt of this my entire life. Right. Okay. I, I, you know, when I was a kid growing up on Long Island, uh, I'd go to Nassau Coliseum, try to, you know, scalp ticket, sneak into the arena, you mm-hmm. know, wash down truck tires, maybe the roadies a little bit. I just wanted to get it. I mean, I got off on watching the road cases be loaded into the docks, uh, wow. you know, lighting, lighting trusses, you know, like it's hard amps. I mean, I'd be drawing like, you know, Marshall heads on the back of my geometry notebook instead mm-hmm. of doing homework, dude. You know, right. I, 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 I just, I was in love with it from the get go. Everything right. about it. Then. Excuse me. putting a guitar around your neck and making music with other musicians, maybe having success, maybe not, but there's just some sort of fun chemistry that goes in with just jamming and making music with, with other people, you know? Yeah. But to this day, my manager and I, anytime we walk into the arena over in, um, uh, uh, Omaha, Nebraska, when we start doing our rehearsals. Mm-hmm. And we'll look at each other, it's like, you ready? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Because we both grew up, he, I grew up in Hicksville, so he grew up in Leventown, we're about the same age. Oh, nice. We walk in and see nothing but road cases and stuff on the floor, and we kind of fist bump. It's like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, you, you immediately turn back into a 15-year-old, you know? right yeah. I mean, it just, I get off on it on a different level. People look at me like, what are you smiling about? I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. You don't understand. Right. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you didn't try to sneak backstage as a kid. Maybe you didn't. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't uh, excuse me, didn't get chased out of the arenas by the cops or security, or get beat right, up, right. you know, whatever. But for me, to walk into an arena and not get thrown out of it is just a great accomplishment.
1: Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so fucking cool,
0: dude. And then it's just fun, dude. That's all. If you keep it fun and innocent... That's what it should remain. Right. <clears throat> you know, and the fact that then you put like, you know, 17, 18,000 people in there. I'm already on 10 before the show because I love the fact that I'm grateful to be doing this like for this many years at my age. Yeah. But you put a bunch of people in the audience and their eyes light up and they got their fists in the air and there's little kids on grandpa's lap, man. You know, I can't explain how much fun that is to watch and be part of and just be proud of. Yeah. yeah. what was you, Do you remember your first concert as a kid? My first concert was The Temptations, 1968 at the Westbury Music Fair. Did you sneak in? No, 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 no. Actually, I got in legit (laughs) that night. My aunt and my uncle were... um uh, uh, my aunt was my mom's baby sister, so she was kind of like caught the tail end of the 50s into the early 60s era. You know, right. my uncle was a greaser. He had a leather jacket, like a Pontiac Le Mans. So he was just right. the coolest thing ever, you know? Right. And Mo- <laughs> Motown was like all over the place back then. And I mm-hmm. just, again, once I got into Motown as well, yeah. you know, they, they got tickets to the Temptations and in, in, um, at Westbury Music Fair. Oh wow! Holy shit! Yeah, That's and it was awesome. fun, dude. I remember, like you know, like seeing Eddie Kendricks run down the aisle and start singing and right. dancing and look at all like awesome. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, ever. Did you ever get when
1: you met somebody like an idol of yours or something like that? Did you ever get like uh, intimidated by it, or were you one of those people that went right up to them and were just like, "I'm no, oh wow,
0: no, dude, I am so intimidated and terrified." And because wow. I, I, like, I got to meet Greg Olman a while ago. Oh, That's and. uh, My wife and I, she got me tickets because, you know, uh, my monitor guy uh, worked for the almonds and, you know, he was saying how, you know, Greg's health is failing. So anyway, we went to meet him and I walked in and I looked at him and I just said, there's like a thousand things I've been been dying to say to you for like the last 40 years. I can't remember one of them, you know, and his like, you know, assistant so guy bad. goes, yeah, it happens. You know, I, I get a little <laughs> tongue tied because these are my heroes, you know, yeah. you know, I'm not going to be like, yo bro, what's up. Mm-mm. I know, you know, it's out so- of respect. And I just don't, I don't know, man. I, I just, that those are like, you know, Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, yeah. Uh, Gladys Knight, Greg Olin, uh, a couple others that I just kind of go, God, I can't talk.
1: I know. It's crazy. I'm so in between going, you know what, fuck it. I shouldn't meet them at all. I'm just going to keep them the way I have in my head at a distance, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then there's a part of me that's also like, you know what, just, just go, just go. And, 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 you know, whatever happens fucking happens. Mm-hmm. And I've said some dumb shit, like, <laughs> like, you know what I think, I think I may have told you this the last time, but I met, um, I was doing stand-up in Burbank, California at this comedy club and, uh, Dave Grohl was in the audience and i went up to you know he was just coming to see a friend i don't know what it was but he was very complimentary he's very cool dude and like an idiot the first things out of my mouth was uh you know my mom really loves your music and he just went your mom huh mm-hmm. and i was like and i already had and i was like what the fuck what, but she did, like <laughs> she does but i was like what in the holy fuck would make you think
0: that <laughs> that's going to go over well
1: <laughs> ah. Ah, and then I just, I swear to God, I was like, I don't know what happened to me. And he was like, yeah, let's just take a photo. <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, probably for the best. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Hey, listen, you know, like, listen, you get nervous, you get tongue tied, you, you, you know, but the, the flip side to that is like, I always am fearful that I meet somebody that I've idolized my whole life and who turns out to be a dick. Oh yeah, totally. That's yeah. always, 10 times you better. know, so it's always, maybe that's why I get a little squirrel. I don't know, man. I don't want yeah. the whole dream. You know, I got to work with Paul Rogers many, many times oh, wow. over the years. Uh, he came and sang with TSO a bunch of times. And needless to say, you know, like the first band, well, the first couple band company records were like the soundtrack to my whole, you know, yeah, teenage yeah. years, you know. right. And I was like, oh my God, please be nice. Please be nice. This is Paul Rogers. And he was the nice, he, what a gentleman, what awesome. a great guy. We correspond all the time. Uh, you know, that was one of the ones that I went, man, all right, nailed it. He's a good boy. You know, That's and needless to say, man. one of the greatest rock and roll singers of all time.
1: It's so weird too. Like you're talking about corresponding and stuff like that. Like I get the same way with like I make a connection. You know, we have, we hit it off. I don't know somebody that well or whatever. And then when they do the thing where they're like, "Hey, man, keep in touch." My brain goes, "They lied." <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, they're being <laughs> polite, maybe. Yeah.
0: but listen, I'm like, all you can do is all you can do is drop an email or text and say, "Hey, yeah. hope all's well. You guys healthy and safe. Whatever. Yeah. You know, respect." And then if they answer back, ask <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to put too much weight into anything, man. You know, as we all yeah. learned from this pandemic, not, the, the rules are all out the window. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So right now it's kind of like, you know, get through, do the best you can, you know, and just keep a positive attitude and look forward to tomorrow.
1: Yeah. Somebody made yeah. a good point too. They just said it's like an old memory from your childhood. Uh, much better to keep the memory instead of destroying it. That's, yeah. yeah straight up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so crazy too. Like, so you were talking about sneaking into stuff when you were younger and getting any kind of trouble was, is that part of the rock and roll kind of credo though too? Like, do you feel like it was just in you from the get go you know what I mean? Yeah, I
0: was a troublemaker from the jump. <laughs> well, no, no, no let, let, let me, let me, let me, let me retract it. I had a propensity to being attracted towards troublemakers. Okay, right. you know, like there was an allure of like you know the bikers in New York, mm-hmm. you know, like you know more the more rough and tumble kind of dudes that I would just look and go, I, I don't know, I got to go hang with them. You, yeah. know? you know, something about playing, you know, give me three steps in the bar with a bunch of Hell's Angels floating around it just seemed like the thing to do. You know, uh, holy shit. I, yeah, well, and, you know, a lot of great friends over the years, you know, just listen, I don't, w- what you do for a living, what circles you run, I don't care, you're either a good yeah. human being or a bad human being, you know? Right, right, right. I, I'm not going to, like, judge you on what colors you're wearing or what, listen, it is I, what it is, you know? I know a lot of Wall Street types, who, you know, uh-uh. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know? you're not,
1: yeah, you're not judging me from wearing a Garfield shirt and a jacket from 1986, you know what I mean? It's well, nice. actually,
0: I am, but I'm being very polite about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That was fair. I deserve no. That. I'm just easily <laughs> no, listen. No. It wasn't a matter. Of, I didn't have the chance to get in too much trouble back then because right. I le- legit was home practicing as much as I could. Yeah, but, you know, I was 15 years old playing in bars around Long Island. Remember, right. this is 1977-78. There was no photo ID, and the drinking age was 18. You know, so I had a literally a paper driver's license from some dude named I think his name was Mark Thomas. No photo okay. on it. You know, if I was 15, 18, wasn't that far away? So you know, right. the age, nobody looked at me like you're a young kid. You know, so you get in bars and you play until three or four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah bad stuff happened, but you know, right, right, right. Yeah. It's all part of the learning and, and, and the life experience of, of doing that. Man, oh, yeah. I tell everybody, unless you grew up in the '70s, you got to play in the bar circuit in the tri-state area, man, you kind of really missed out on oh, something awesome. amazing.
1: Yeah. I feel like that was a one time, every time I, I love watching music documentaries, you know, about the seventies and like mm-hmm. everybody, all the bands and stuff and everybody that was around then. And it feels like that was just one moment in time, never going to happen again. You know, just all that shit was brand spanking new. brand new,
0: Yeah. Brand and new. that was
1: it. And now it's like, you know, we're getting, cause it's funny because it's one of those things, do you know? Um, oh my God, I can't think of her name. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. This happens every fucking show. Uh, there's somebody, anyway, They were talking about, she was like, you know what's crazy is that nobody runs up to me. And uh, uh, when I was a kid, nobody ran up to any adult and was like, oh my God, what was it like in the 30s? And she goes, but everybody runs up to me and asks what it was like in the 70s. What was it like touring? And it is true. Like nobody gives, you know, it's that one moment in time everybody wants to get back to.
0: You know, it's interesting because, you know, the 30s has like a stigma attachment that nobody really wants to remember because it was the Great Depression and things are going upside down. You know, then it was, you know, World War II, you know, in the 40s. Yeah. And then you had, you know, like the 50s, which was like the innocence and the whole, you know, b- birth of suburbia. Yep. You know, the 60s has a stigma attached to it with, you know, the flower, uh, ch- um, you know, the, the Child, peace, yeah, love and flower means- stuff. Vietnam, you yeah. know, lock on to social rights, you know, all that stuff, man. The 70s, it was kind of like the birth of FM radio right the birth of all those bands i mean at any moment you had the Allman brothers and leonard skinner you had elp yes king crimson the 70s yeah. were special because there was like it was innocent musically yeah you know there was a lot going on politically you had the gas crisis you know jimmy carter in, as president in 76 you know a lot going on that way with the economy but from a musical standpoint it's like you know albums were being put out pink floyd came out yeah. with dark side of the moon elton John, Jellbrick road you know jethro tall aqualung you know nice. led zeppelin hit it. it was like dude this is awesome
1: yeah. And somehow you guys had bell bottoms and you were still fucking a lot. You know what I mean? So that was like a yeah. real contrast. That was a, a struggle for me to see. Um, but like, but then you led right into the eighties, you know what I mean? Like, and that had its own fucking cool identity with MTV and all that other shit too. It's like those two decades, man,
0: are just those like- two decades were real powerful musically. I mean, I remember it must've been, I'm going to say 1982, I think is when MTV kind of first started and like yeah. everybody had the same reaction I accidentally hit this channel on TV that was playing music and didn't stop. Right. You know, so like every band in the 70s that was just concentrating on like being cool and playing live and all that now had another outlet that you could, everybody in America could, could watch them. Remember, we only had like Kerrang! Magazine, Circus Magazine. Right. So those are the only ways we could see, you know, like I could see Steven Tyler or Joe Perry or whomever, Frank Marino, whoever was popular at the time, you know? Yeah. Or go see them live in concert. Now they're in your living room. hmm Which made the music business brought it to a whole different level where it now it became visual and like these mini films are being played and you know it, yeah. it was an incredible time it really was
1: did you find people like did you embrace that kind of stuff when it was coming out did you you know because i know there was like a mixed bag of people thought like too much exposure bad for music you know, nobody's coming out to see live stuff, but I never, I thought it increased everything.
0: I thought it increased everything, dude. I mean, I was literally glued to that set, you yeah. know, I mean, I get home from school or from work, whatever I was doing at the time and just like mm-hmm. click, that's it. You know, I'd wait for like, you know, the, uh, the Kaja Google wants to go by so I could get to like, you know, the rock stuff later on in the day. Yeah, But I think that like arena rock, like it was put it through the roof because now I mean, these guys were larger than life on your TV, uh, getting into the songs, watching the videos, everything Mm -hmm. about it was like just amazing.
1: Right. Did you have a lot of you're talking about, you mentioned uh, coming home from work and stuff like that. How many like regular jobs did you have before you could go full tilt, like be in a
0: band, play music forever? Oh, I don't know, uh, a lot, you know, like, you know, being a busboy, you know, working in a beer distributor, landscaping. Right. You know, I don't know if I told you the story, but, you know, you you never really let go of that. Like, you know, your your childhood upbringing and like, you you know, like you learned how to swing a hammer, swing a spatula. But I remember when I got done with Cooper, um, I got fired from his band, I think in 90, early 91, something like that. And I I kept doing pretty good. I was doing a lot of records uh, with this uh, producer up on Long Island. And I remember I had done it. 92, 93. I'd done a Celine Dion record. I played guitar on a couple of tracks, you know, right. just before the Titanic movie, ah. right, just before she exploded. So whatever. Right. But the record was doing really good. But all of a sudden, the work dried up, you know, and the phone wasn't really ringing. It, you know, you know, I had a couple of kids at the time living on Long Island, and I remember like, okay, you know, my neighbor had a landscaping truck, and I said, dude, you know, you need any help? I need money now. So he says, oh, wow. oh, man, you don't jump in and to go out and cut lawns and cut hedges. I didn't give a shit. You know, you yeah, just yeah. do uh, what you got to do. You got a family that you're responsible for, that's what comes first. Well, you know, one day I'm in the, this backyard of this kind of really opulent little um, situation. It's like, I don't know, Northport or Centerport, somewhere on on um, the kind of a, the rich side of town on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, cutting the lawn and trimming the hedges doing whatever the hell I'm doing. And this, like, 16-year-old little girl in a bikini comes out kind of rolls her eyes at me like I'm Pedro the landscaper, <laughs> you know. Rolls out a towel. She's sunbathing. And in the background comes this song that I played guitar on. And that was one of those head down moments. I'm like, you know, uh, yeah. all right, well,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not my finest
0: moment. And I just kind of rolled my eyes like, oh, fuck, you know. So, you know, you kind of, I don't know, man, how many jobs over the years? Plenty of them, you know, Yes, yeah. you know, you're always looking ahead going, what's next? And again, going back, I don't want to keep bringing up the pandemic, but like every no, musician, yeah. every sound man, every LD, every laser shooter, everybody in the music business kind of went, oh, shit.
1: Right, right. Two years ago, yeah. like, huh? You know,
0: totally. so, you know, listen. You plan for the best, you prepare for the worst, or you plan for the worst and prepare for the best. Whatever, you never know. But yeah, yeah I had a, I had a lot of jobs because they only lasted about a week because I just couldn't deal.
1: Yeah, no, I can imagine. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, I feel like that's a a running joke between anybody that's in music or comedy where they're just like, none of the fucking jobs lasted. I couldn't do it. Couldn't make. You know, not that they even couldn't do it, but it's like it's just you don't have the mindset for it. You know, you're thinking about other shit and you're destined to do something. You know. Um, I, I guess be- I would say better, you know what I mean? Or something that's mm-hmm. more true to you. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of times, you know, you get, you know, you become conversive with whomever you're working and like, you know, in a beer distributed, you know, right. Model sporting goods, whatever the hell you're doing and yeah. you, know, you got long hair in 1982. And we got an earring. It's like, dude's like, why you got long hair and earrings? Like, I don't know. Why do you look like an asshole? You know what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you, you you think you're going to be a musician? Yeah, pipe dreams. Yeah, the you know the the case of beer in the back, and just you, right. you know, everybody everybody wants to bring you down. Everybody wants to kind of pull you back down to that. Not many people kind of say, dude, go for your dream. Did you ever see that TV commercial with the kid? He's a goth kid. He comes out of his bedroom. He's got like safety pins in his head. He's got, Like a fourteen year old kid. He's going out. He's right. got all the goth clothing on. Like funky hair. And his mom goes, hey. Hey, come over here. You know, you can't go out like that. And he walks over and she fixes the, uh, the safety pin earring in his ear and gives him a kiss on the forehead and I'll oh, go have a good night. You know, yeah. <laughs> I've you never know. seen that. That's great. Yeah, my mom did not follow that, that protocol, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's a great commercial. because just like, just, just, you know, encourage, do what you got to do, man. You know, a, a lot of people just want to shit on everything that you're doing. I got no time right. for it. No, you know? I know what so, you mean. So that's it, you know, and, and again, it was probably, I'm an asshole because I'm like, i don't want to stack shelves i don't want to be here and the 325 an hour is really not changing my life so i gotta go
1: yep no i totally get it yeah. you know this, that's crazy too because i like to give like i think it's you know those generations credit because when my friends and i were i when i was in school we didn't really have that you know what i mean like everybody was really accepting of whatever anybody wanted to wear we had like you know when i was in like high school it was like early two thousand. so it was mm-hmm. all different styles.
0: The 80s were coming back. 70s, yeah, yeah, it was different. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah.
1: And nobody gave a shit. And it was but I do credit like those generations with kind of doing that kind of stuff because you guys made it cool. And then, you know, um every, every guy, everybody was dressed differently in a band. You could always tell the band just by simply what they were wearing, the length of their hair, you know, what yeah. the color, you know, whatever. And even TV and movies and shit like that were always like be yourself, be who you want to be. Mm-hmm. Fuck all that shit. And then it finally like filtered into when I was growing up as a kid because no one gave a fuck. Yeah. like we were all like anybody everybody wore what they fucking wanted to everyone was gay, bi, whatever the fuck it was and nobody cared.
0: Nobody cared and you know it's good man because let let, let you know uh, from generation to generation just dispel all the crap from the previous generations. Yeah. It's not that important. Let's, let's concentrate on you raising like good human beings. Mm-hmm. Forget about socioeconomic background. Uh, race, creed, color, religious, ethnicities, don't care. How about yeah. like, let's teach your generation not to be assholes.
1: Right. Oh my God, that would be a fucking miracle.
0: It, well, that, well, listen, that's what we're working towards, you know, little by little.
1: Yeah, You know, absolutely. I think people get
0: so caught up in, in, you know, phobias and what's been stigmatized. I just, I don't care.
1: Yeah, you no, know? I, I agree. want my
0: kids to grow up to be like really just fine young adults and have great lives, you know.
1: Are any of your kids interested in music, like going into it? My
0: My middle son- Uh, is an incredible bass player, producer, piano player. He lives in Brooklyn. He's writing TV commercials, uh, wrote a bunch of great songs, toured a bunch. Yeah, he followed in Daddy's footsteps, but he's so much better than I ever was. I mean, at his age. The kid sounds like James Jameson meets Jocko. You know, it's like amazing. Yeah, he's for real. Straight up for real. Uh, The other two boys, uh, they're both of the armed forces. Oh, wow. Dude, that's Mm. awesome. And then my two daughters, you know, they're 11 and 5, so they're just, they're being girls. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're just
1: girls that's it um, which is
0: so much more difficult than raising boys i gotta tell you
1: do you uh, i i can almost i can only imagine dude um is it uh do you do you kind of want to collaborate your son do you kind of give him little points here and there like what's the when he asked like? me
0: if he asked me I, I preface everything with listen this is my opinion this is what worked out for me mm-hmm. i don't i'm not going to guide him i'm not you know i taught him the uh, the dedication and the hours, the 10,000 hours, it's going to take him to be good at something. Oh, that's great. Uh, but for me to give him bi- advice about the music, I know nothing about the music business right now. Right. You know, absolutely nothing. You know, yeah, so it's weird, he'll, he'll ask me, he goes, Daddy, do you know anything about it? I'm like, dude, I, I'd be making something up. So no, I, I one guy. <laughs> He's like, know? I've heard of this thing called TikTok. Have you heard of it? Uh, yeah, nope. I know. Yeah, that's it was fun. what my clock used to do on my wall. <laughs> you know. um, I remember when we talked last time, you were talking about, you. so you're born in Brooklyn? Well, uh, fa- uh, yeah, I was about seven minutes old when the family moved out to Long Island.
1: I was going to say, yeah, because I didn't realize, I didn't know what the timeline was, because I was born in Brooklyn as well, and mm-hmm. I didn't know how much time you got to spend there.
0: None. It was the hospital to the Long Island Expressway we're gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that should be the name of your
1: autobiography, from the hospital to the Long Island Expressway. God. <laughs> and
0: back. And, ba- and back, yeah, yeah <laughs> and exactly. Back.
1: Oh. Uh, What made you, what brought you out to Pennsylvania?
0: Um, I was invited up here. I was living in New York city at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, and I I was invited to like a fourth of July barbecue on some lake in the mountains of Pennsylvania. And I'm like, "Ah, okay, all right, where's that? Yeah. And I yeah, came yeah. up and I looked around. I was like, wow, well, this is a beautiful little place. And, you know, a little house on the lake for the weekend, mm-hmm. cruising around town. It was like, what a cute little town. Like, really, it, I think it was settled in the middle 1700s. It's the town of time forgot. Wow, you know? yeah. That's and beautiful. I bought a place up on a lake up here just to have weekends, get out of the city, hanging. And then, you know, not too long after 9-11. Yeah. So like, you know what? Eh. Uh, yeah. You know, so just kind of came up here. The onset of the high-speed internet was just starting Mm-hmm. um tso was starting to take you know get his foot foothold so there was no real reason to live in new york city anymore it's, i'm only about 70 miles away from it right so i turned around one day i was like Ah, whatever this will nice. work
1: that's cool man i think you're yeah. living my I, my friends and i used to go uh we still do every summer we go um as a tradition to rent a house in the poconos yeah like a, like yeah and it's beautiful i mean it's on a it's lake it's gorgeous and i'm like in my head i swear to god i'm like so i'm like i'm like i'm ready i want when can i get a house here <laughs> when can yeah. i move and like because i would my friends are like you go crazy i'm like get the fuck out of here man i'm like i'm in the city all the time as it is anyway i've i've had my you know I've had my yeah. fill. i would love to live in a small town on a lake with you know wi-fi and a fucking bear or some shit you know i don't know but like all that I, seems listen, like great
0: all that's true listen it if that's all you have, it, it can get a little squirrely after a while, mm. you know. Because I mean, yeah. you know, you know, you and I seem a lot alike in, in the you know, the fast-paced personality of the city, hit the streets, run and do stuff. Right. You know, you can't do that up here. That's not what this is. is. You know, this yeah. is a place to come to to get away from the insanity, you know. Yes, that's great. So uh, yeah. but up here, you know, it's quiet, it's nice. Um, there's this, you know, uh just become friends with everybody in the community you know, it's no big deal. Everybody knows what I do that, you know, they're yeah. like, Oh, cool. Love your music. Well, you know, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> it's not a big deal. That's there's awesome. the barber in town. There's a little guitar shop in town. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the boxing Academy in town and there's what grocery store. That's it. Nice. That's what you got. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And um, it's very simple. It's good for the girls cause it's a small town. You yeah. Know, and, and I want them to be raised with those kind of ethics and, the, you know, the morality, of small town and the decorum.
1: Yeah. And, and still get- have
0: a little bit of a New York city edge to them as well.
1: Yeah, totally. And you get a little, and you get like close friends and stuff like that in a small town. When I was younger, I, we moved, and I grew up in a small town. It was like a very small school, but like I know those people. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah, yeah it's a different, it's, it's a completely different vibe.
1: Yeah, would you so would say so? Like the Long Island when you were growing up there and stuff like that, and just being from New York, did it influence your music in a way? Like your writing style when you're playing music and stuff like that? Like how would you say New York and that upbringing kind of like seeped into your music?
0: Well, you got to keep in mind how many bands. Came from Long Island, right? You know, in the tri state area, you know, right? So, you start with probably, you know, um, you know, like Carmine Appice and Vanilla Fudge going back, okay? Mm-hmm. Leslie West and Mountain coming from Staten Island, right? Steely Dam, you know, putting their yeah. first incarnation of their band together in Hicksville with Danny right. Diaz and a bunch of people, uh, Blue Oil's the Cult coming from yeah. Long Island, uh, Twisted Sister, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I I know I'm spacing a bunch of others, you know, there's so many like incredible artists, Uh, Billy Joel from again, you know, so you're talking about people came from this little itty bitty piece of real estate and made it big. Mm -hmm. So two things occurred. One, it taught us that it's, it can be done. Right. You know, and you paid very, I paid very close attention to how they did it. So um, uh, like, you know, uh, taking apart um, boys, the cold songs, you know, yeah. Don't Fear the Reaper, City's on Flame, Godzilla. It's like, you know, these dudes who live probably about 10 miles away from where I grew up were right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a band called Ram Jam that did a cover of Black Betty. That oh, was yeah. the first, you know, so it's a great you know, it's fucking like, well, cover. Here's a band from, you know, not too far from where I live who did a cover to That is a good right. idea, you know. And then you had Twisted, who was a bar band doing cover songs that started writing their own songs. And, you know, they were, before they became Twisted on the Stay Hungry record, D was selling like eight, nine, a thousand seats in clubs on Long Island. Wow. You know, you had bands like them and Rat Race Choir, Zebra was another band that came up from New Orleans and kind of like set their home up in a in the tri-state area and then got signed to Atlantic Records. You had a DJ named Bob Buckman on WBAB who was who had a thing called Homegrown, which he would play local songwriters of local bands music. So it was in the seventies, it was you know, kind of like the greatest of all things to right. be in a band to, to be a guitar player. I can go to a club. You know, four nights a week and say see like eight different bands that were all were incredible. You right. Know? And this is on a club level. And they yeah. you know, if you had the balls to like take the train into New York City and do it, there, man, It was it was just an incredible time for music. Yeah. You know? Do you, still,
1: do you still keep up with, like, the music scene on Long Island and stuff like that? Yeah. Try to, like, no. <laughs> just like, just
0: like, nah, no. dude, I hit the ground running. When I left, I never went back, you know, with the exception of my sister living there. Right. You know, uh, no. I don't know that there is a scene. I mean, I, listen, I have great memories of Long Island. I toured yeah. a place called um, Focus 2 Guitars in the early 80s mm. when, you know, when in the post-King Edward Van Halen scene, every kid on the planet wanted a Charvel, Hall with a Floyd Rose, wanted to learn how to play Eruption. I mean, everybody wow. wanted to be a guitar player. Yeah, you know, and that was wild. I think I had like seventy or eighty students a week back then. Um, there's a there's
1: know. a great band out in Long Island right now called AMH, uh, Adam and the Metal Hawks. Okay, and they just did a thing with Dee Snyder, and uh, we had him on the show too. They went like viral during the pandemic just because they were they awesome. were doing like internet shit and trying to keep. But again, same thing, man. Same mentality. They've all got the same kind of attitude. You know, that same kind of vibe, and it's Long Island, man. So it's just, it's a nice rich history. And they were talking about all the, the history of all that shit, too. It's crazy. Um, yeah. You know, it,
0: it is, you have a sense of pride coming from Long Island because it's kind of like, you know, the bastard child of New York City. You know, like nobody really, nobody yeah, really true. goes, oh, I, blah, blah, blah. but you know, so a couple listen, you know, I remember when Brian Setzer put the stray cats together and they came out and like, you know, right. every genre, every, yeah. every different style of music that you could imagine was coming off that little piece of real estate, man. And, and there yeah. is a sense of pride because, you know, You know, listen, Steve, Joe Satriani, you know, uh, you know, uh, you get into the five boroughs, you got, you know, Will Calhoun and Corey Glover with Living Color, T.M. Stevens, all my, my brothers in arms for so many years, just like cutting their teeth and doing wonderful things, you know. Yeah, yeah. It just, you know, it, it's a great place. And again, I can't speak for it now. I don't live there. I don't know too much about anything. But mm-hmm. at the time, you you were forced to be great because every garage band on your block was a good band, or at least the time you thought. Right. You know, constant competition, constant self-deprecation, man. I do suck. I got to work harder, man. The kid over <laughs> in, you know, Garden City shredding. Right, you know? right. Yeah. And you'd ride your bike and go, like, go hear bands play, like, this guitar player, this drummer, whatever, man. That's what it was. It was a constant, just a constant, wonderful uphill struggle, which yeah. I so grateful for
1: yeah and that's one of the cool things about a place like that not changing too much i mean you talk Mm -hmm. about like like when i go back to brooklyn it's the same shit man it's like there's there's time stands still on the block my uncle lives on man i don't think anything is (laughs) like it's the same fucking buildings same colored walls everybody that still used to hang outside on the stoop is still fucking outside on the stoop uh it's wild man and but it kind of like it's it's cool because it kind of breeds the same kind of talent if there's talent there you know Mm -hmm. it's not um,
0: it is. It's a wonderful thing, you know. And listen, there's other communities around America who have a similar situation going on. But who
1: cares about that? No, I'm just
0: kidding. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know.
1: No, I know you. <laughs> just that's the New York, you know that's the like. But you know what? Fuck those. You know, you're right. There is a bunch of places like that. There's pockets like all over the place. That is just fucking awesome. Um, but New York is like, I don't know. I like I when you were coming on when you came on the first time. And immediately you were talking about Brooklyn, Long Island is New York. I was like, this guy's like easily one of somebody in my family. That's <laughs> like, yeah, like, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's yeah, no probably. way. We'll do that 23 and me thing on that TV show and find out we're like distant cousins or some shit.
0: Are you? Hey, do you have family we'll familiar? that happened, dude. You know, and again, part of my enjoyment of getting on the show, and I always say thank you to Max for, for putting me on with you guys. You know, I enjoy good company. I enjoy yeah. good conversation. You know, Absolutely. it's not pretentious. It's not bullshit. I mean, all you're doing is asking me my opinions of, and how I got to, you know, sitting yeah. on a couch with you all tonight in the mountains of Pennsylvania. And if we can make people aware of, like, like, how rich a culture there was on Long Island in the music scene of the 70s and how many mm-hmm. incredible musicians never had the opportunity to break out of Long Island and do something. Those are the people that I, I don't feel bad for them, but at the same time, I wish they had their day in the sun too, because I mean, there's so many incredible guitar players, drummers, bass players, singers, for whatever the reason, by their hand, by not their hand, you know, who never really took the next step forward. And, you know, a lot of them are still there, you know, and they're not bitter, you know, they just, they enjoyed the same things that we all did. You know, anybody who's my age who grew up in that area, you know, some of us got really, really lucky, you know, yeah. The majority didn't because that's how it works, you know. The majority won't.
1: It's a good yeah, but it's a good yeah. point though too, you know. There are a lot of people that kind of get left behind and then you have shows that are supposed to be, you know, like The Voice and um uh, You know, I know what you mean, man, but it's that kind of shit. If you could if you could make something like that to really benefit people would you do Would do you think that's a, that's a good thing a good way to utilize that? i don't
0: i i really don't i watch american idol um uh, because i find it really entertaining and i like seeing these young kids sing and i like some of the backstories yeah you know yeah. that's fine you know yeah uh I, I like the way the show is produced i mean i just as far as visually watching something to burn out on a sunday or monday night whatever it is man it's awesome yeah. but i you know I, no that is not the way that you, you learn this craft you know, you're I supposed guess. to struggle. You're supposed to hit the bars. I mean, now, you know, people got the internet and go videos viral. Sure. That's all well and fine. But we had a learn, we learned to do stuff on the fly in a bar. Yeah. You know, or, or in your mother's yeah. basement, or learning songs by ear. We're trying to piece arrangements together, trying to learn guitar solos, trying to learn vocals. That's how you became a musician, you right. know? And, and then, like, standing in front of like 30 drunks yelling Freebird. <laughs> you know, and getting, you know, like Rheingold cans thrown at you, learning how to kind of like duck and slip out of the way of a flying beer can while still playing a cool guitar song. Right? You know, I don't know. Maybe again, I'm, I'm showing my age, but, you know, you nah, ask me a yeah. question. I'm only going to be honest. These other things, these talent shows, I mean, they had them when I was a kid, man. But uh, no, I don't think yeah. I don't think they work.
1: Right. No, I agree. It, it's kind of fucked up because they figured out how to manipulate the system sometimes. Like, there was, yeah. we we're, we're talking about something the other day, man, where it's like everything that you... That's the thing, too. It's like I feel like it's organic versus inorganic, and people mm-hmm. can tell when something is inorganic, but it's also like, yeah. what can you do? You know, this is kind of what we live in now, which kind of sucks. Um, there was a, a girl who got really popular. One of her songs became a hit. She was on Fallon, all this other shit. And basically, it was because she was asking for suggestions on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Of what to sing and somebody would throw some ideas out for a thing and then she'd make a song about it. So one of them was like the alphabet and she did it. And then it became this huge fucking thing. She went all over the place and then somebody did a little digging and found out that the person that suggested it was part of her team. And mm-hmm. she would already had a song written about it. So it was like all orchestrated and it took the mat, you know, it took any of it out of it. You know what I mean? Like <coughs> it, 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 it became, it went from being like, Oh my God, like this is a really cool organic thing to, Holy shit, this is completely orchestrated.
0: Well, listen, and you're gonna have, you know, things like that. You're gonna have people who, you know, they're groomed for stardom and you know, whatever. Right. I, yeah. then you're gonna have people who are gonna cut their teeth and never really get that. Listen, I don't begrudge anybody who has any kind of success. The only thing I could say yeah. f- firsthand is that when I first started working for Paul O'Neill, mm-hmm. he looked at me straight up in the face and goes, I don't care about anything other than making great art. Nice. That's it And right, that man. resonated with me then and I' carry that with me for the rest of my life because that's why the TransHbre Orchestra became it because it, there was no you couldn't have scripted this. you couldn't have written out a blueprint to how to do this. Paul just wanted to do something different. yeah you know yeah. and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize they look at what it is right now and they see the grandeur and the spectacle that it's become, but they really have no comprehension of going back to 95, '96 and '97 that there was nothing. Except, right. you know, a man with a great dream, you know, and myself, Caffrey, Jeff played Johnny Lee Middleton. Um, I don't know whom I've spaced, uh, John Oliver, you know, right. uh, Paul's wife, you know, just, <clears throat> just wanting something so bad for the sake of the art form. And then yeah. it became about finance later, you know? Right, right. I, I right, think, hey, listen, when I was a kid, you know, like in every generation follows, people are enamored with wealth and finance and, and like, you know, who's got what car, who's got what, you know, who's wearing a Louboutin, who's driving a Bentley, who's wearing whatever, you know.
1: Right.
0: It, it almost anesthetized everybody to the work process to get to that point. They just think that they're entitled to have all this shit now because they see it on TV and now they see it on Instagram or whatever. Sure. That ain't the real world, brother, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah absolutely at, at least not for somebody like me maybe there's some guy who's investing in bitcom or whatever this crap is which i don't comprehend <laughs> Yeah, you know? and maybe they're gonna become billionaires overnight god bless you i'm not yeah, you know? yeah. no i hear you, you yeah you know when we yeah, get done yeah. i'm gonna play guitar my, and you know do a couple songs with my daughter and probably like learn how to play a different chord on the guitar after 58 years of doing it you know i'm yeah, okay yeah. with that world with, with straight you know
1: right wow. I hear you. Yeah. yeah that's beautiful man Um, and if there was somebody like, like if you're playing, let's say you're playing, whether you're with TSO or you're doing your own thing or whatever, if there was somebody that you idolize, like a musician, either dead or alive, who would you want to see in the
0: audience watching you play? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I would like Greg Allman. Mm. I would have enjoyed Greg Allman being in the audience. Um, Nice. I've been complimented by a couple of my idols over the years. That you know, like I got a lovely letter from Gary Rossington
1: a couple Christmases
0: back, saying you know I I wished him well. He was having some um, some health issues, and he wrote me a handwritten letter and said, you know, I'm Al, I'm a huge fan of yours too. God bless what you do. Uh, You know, you know, you hear that of you know Gladys Knight being in the audience when I was playing with Cooper. Jimmy Page was in the audience once. You you hear about people going like, you know, that, that makes me feel proud. Yeah, absolutely scares the living shit out of me. (laughs) You know, but 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 I would have liked, you know when I did meet Greg, you know he was well aware of what I've done and maybe listened to the records and he was very very complimentary. But there was something about that man in particular. He was such an important part of my uh, education musically. Mm -hmm. He he was like my favorite rock star and he was just awesome. It would have been nice to look down off the stage and just like you know have him look up, maybe smile, maybe wink, maybe give me the finger. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but that would have been okay. You yeah, know, I, I would have enjoyed that very, very much.
1: Absolutely, man, that's great. Um, and then, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up with the last three questions that we ask every guest. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you so much for coming on, first of all, because it's been a fucking blast. Ah,
0: uh, dude, it's my pleasure, man. Let's do this a bunch more times. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Next time we have to do it with some McAllen 18.
0: Hopefully, in no, person. No, we do not. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> that's so great. That's a whole different interview that always goes sideways. Ain't going to happen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dystopia. Oh It'll be fine. <laughs> the, yeah, I yeah. <laughs> said no interviewer ever. <laughs>
1: oh, fuck. That got me. Uh, all right. Um, so first question is, if you go back in time and talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today?
0: Don't change a fucking thing you're doing. Nice beautiful because you know to be detailed if i change something one thing in life Mm -hmm. you change it's a different outcome yeah a different trajectory a a different landing point everything right now would be different so yeah uh, you know i would say listen you know toughen up this ain't gonna be easy but just don't change nothing i did
1: nice that'd be great um and then the second thing uh, what had to end in your life in order for you to wind up where you are today good or bad
0: i think uh uh, insecurity. I think maybe, I think we touched upon this last time we talked. Yeah, we I remember that being a very good question. And I, I think insecurity is crippling, uh, because mm-hmm. I, I believe, and I, I have, you know, no formal education on this, but a lot of it comes from outsiders teaching you to be insecure. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that insecurity, you're born with it. I just think that if enough people can get to you until you're not very good or beat you down, you start to somehow manifest and believe that like that was your thought process. Yeah. That's so really whether good whether, it's, whether it's you know DNA or whether it's you know you know by society, uh, that will hinder you and, and ruin your life.
1: Wow, wow, that's a really good answer. That's a really good point. I oh, thank you,
0: thank you. Yeah. That's it's a really good question, man. And that, thank you. I, I think that that's what people really got. They got to be able to look in the mirror and believe in themselves, mm-hmm. and also say, yeah. you know what, dude, you can't do this, and and let's try something different. Be honest with yourself. Right. Or if you want it that bad, you know, Shep Gordon, who is Alice's manager, said something in an interview a long time ago. And um, I forgot who was interviewing him, but they said, you know, how do you accomplish all these great things? He goes, I don't know. I see it in my head and then I make it happen.
1: Right. Um, And then we have, we have a new question for you uh, that we've had since the last time. And it's like one of my favorite ones because it ties into the show. So in a dystopia, if this is a real dystopia, aliens, zombies, comet heading toward the earth, volcanoes, the whole shebang, what would be your epic death? How would you want to go out? And what weapon would you use? Would you think you would use?
0: Uh, okay, so left by my meaning, if it was just me, it's got nothing to do with my daughter, my family. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, nothing, okay. just you. <laughs> I'm opening the front door, pouring out a McHale and 25 year olds. Putting my feet up, chain smoking a Marlboro, oil <laughs> spray act of defiance. We're good.
1: Oh fuck, that's so badass. That's
0: awesome. Well, you think about it, dude. You know, I always get a kick. You know, and to each his own. I'm not gonna. I, I will never pass judgment or, or, or think differently of people who are like. You know, get ready for the zombie apocalypse. This, right, right. you know, I watched a pandemic shut the world down and people ran out and bought toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> really yeah, okay. yeah so exactly. if this gets any small squirrely i swear i'm going to crack a bottle 25 year old and i'm yeah. just going to put my feet up and you know maybe i'll grab my favorite winchester that i got because i love john wayne and maybe i'll put it on my lap because that's really going to deter a panzer or you know a whole platoon <laughs> <tune> of tanks <laughs> if it gets to that point brother i'm going out drunk that's all i promise uh, that's you that's great we we are
1: alike that is beautiful my one of my friends was describing he was like dude he's like i feel like if I know what's happening, I'm fine. I'm chill. I'm like whatever, fucking meteor. I would just be. I'd just be like, it's fine. I'm okay with it. So whatever what are you happens. gonna do? Exactly, nothing.
0: You got to enjoy it.
1: I just want to know. I want to know what's going on. I don't want it to. Like, I don't. I don't want to be yeah. aware.
0: Yeah, you know, things like that, you know, Hollywood depictions of goofy stuff like that. It's just like, like somebody was asking me the other day, like after a nuclear attack, what would you do? I'm like, melt? I don't know. What am <laughs> yeah, I going to yeah, do? Yeah, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I want to live through this. So what? So I yeah. can learn how to like, no, no. Yeah, no, no, that's
1: fucking insane. When people are like, You're,
0: oh.
1: I was going to say, you don't want to be responsible for
0: repopulating the earth. That no, could dude, be no. your role. I don't like half the population now. I don't want to redo this. <laughs> <laughs> uh yo, i've had uh, so much fun with you tonight man yeah i love you guys thank you so thank much you for so coming much. on man. we truly appreciate, appreciate you coming out here with uh, us let's yeah stay safe let's do this again soon all right and absolutely. tell max I said thank you again for putting this together for Will us we'll do absolutely absolutely, man. absolutely. thanks for nah, you nah, you brothers. Man. much love dystopia tonight, Bye-bye. Yeah. It's Tokyo tonight.